Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only Internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I'm happy to announce that I'm now working on my next book. The title is Reclaim Your Digestive Health and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your GI Distress with Natural Treatments. This book should be ready later this year, so keep an eye out for it. All right, that's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm very excited about today's show because my special guest is Dr. Mark Berhenny. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Berhenna is a best-selling author and a family and sleep medicine dentist who's been in private practice for nearly 30 years, focusing on patient-centered and preventative dental health care with patients who come to him from all over the world. He is a member of the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. Uh, The day his wife was diagnosed with sleep apnea was the day he began learning everything he could about sleep breathing conditions. He's a TEDx speaker. uh, He's the creator of AskTheDentist.com and is dedicated to exploring the mouth-body connection for better overall health. His latest book is The 8-Hour Sleep Paradox, How We Are Sleeping Our Way to Fatigue, Disease, and Unhappiness. Dr. Berhenna, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Dr. Carey, I'm glad to be here. Very excited. So explain to our listeners why a dentist is writing about sleep and how can our teeth affect our sleep? It's a good question. Um, you know, uh, you would normally speak to a physician or a sleep specialist, and of course, a dentist cannot diagnose uh, sleep apnea, but there are a lot of things that we can see um, early on before the comorbidities of sleep apnea, like high blood pressure or a heart arrhythmia occur, and it's um, something that we're trained to do. We've already been trained to do it, so it's, for example, um, if your tongue is oversized and has uh, is fissured and has scalloping on the side, that's to us that means something immediately. Where to perhaps to a physician that he may not even be looking at that, uh, he would be looking somewhere else. Um, so a dentist is is in a is, is in a great position. I mean, our patients are lying down. We're throwing water into their mouths. You know, we're suctioning. We can see the gag reflex. We see the the airway and the throat in action and being being stressed. Okay, so you just mentioned something that piqued my curiosity um, about the tongue. So I know a lot of our listeners are going to like pause this right now and go check in the mirror and look at their tongue. Right. right. So can you mention that again and what clue does that give you as a dentist? Well, it tells me what the tongue is doing at night. Uh, In other words, it's thrusting forwards, uh, if there's scalloping on the sides. The scalloping is actually the indentation 
of the upper linguals of the teeth. In other words, the inside arch of your of your uh, you know uh, arch of teeth, uh, and uh, the fissuring is the tongue folding over on itself. That would be that uh, you know that line right down the middle, and that tells us that the tongue is is getting pushed onto itself. There's no room for it. Um, so it, there are little subtle hints, but if you put it all together, if you see that there's some grinding, some attrition, uh, some lingual erosions, those are little indentations on the inside of the root structure of the tooth from uh, acid from the stomach. Uh, GERD and sleep apnea uh, are seen often together, uh, very often together, actually. Um, in fact, I've cured people of GERD by treating their sleep apnea. So these little oral you know, manifestations um, of uh, sleep apnea are there. They, they are visible to the so, dentist. So what were some of the interesting things that you learned when you were doing the research to help your wife with her diagnosis of sleep apnea? Right. Well, I mean, I certainly was in the trenches all of a sudden. I had no idea uh, about this world of sleep apnea. In fact, I have sleep apnea myself. I discovered that later. I have a mild case of it. But my wife had a severe case, and of course, uh, we were being led by the professionals that were treating it, and that would be a primary care physician, uh, gives a referral to a sleep specialist, and then to an ENT, and uh, you know, there was surgery was an option, uh, the CPAP was an option. So we went through this process, and while I went through the process, that's where I started realizing that things need to be streamlined, um, the patient themselves have issues expressing. I mean, we had no idea. We thought snoring was normal. Uh, I, I guess as we get older, we think uh, the aging process makes us tired. We think a nap is, is a good thing. We're told uh, in many, many uh, sleep books that napping is a good thing, uh, falling to sleep. You know, we were very pr proud of being able to fall asleep quickly. That actually is not a good sign. That's called, um, uh, that, that's a term that, or uh, something we look at in a sleep study, how quickly someone falls asleep. If you fall asleep under five minutes, you are too tired. You, are, you have an issue. Um, so it was this whole process that really kind of woke me up, uh, pardon the pun, um, to this world of, of sleep apnea and how I think, how poorly it, it is dealt with in the medical world. And that's one of the reasons I wrote, wrote the book. Um, and if someone does come in and, and say they're tired and they're in good shape and they do not have the comorbidities, like being overweight uh, of sleep apnea, high BMI, uh, heart, high blood pressure, then the doctor would essentially say, well, listen, here's some tips on sleep hygiene. And of course, many of the books focus on that. Uh, in fact, there was a book that was just published on that. And those are important books. For example, you know, blackout curtains, the right pillow, the right mattress, uh, meditating before you go to sleep, not drinking alcohol within four or five hours of bedtime. I mean, those are all very important. That's what we refer to as sleep hygiene. Those are important things, of course, to consider. But if someone's tired, shouldn't they consider the root cause or the potential of the, the possible root cause of poor sleep? And of course, the ramifications of not doing that. Um, for example, if you are sleepy and tired and, and you have a restless sleep every night, you know, blackout curtains may not be the answer. Um, and you may be missing some, a very important diagnosis that could later impact you greatly, like uh, diabetes, Alzheimer's, uh, premature aging, uh, suppressed immune response. I mean, those are big things. So that's where I got a little frustrated. I said, well, listen, shouldn't we go right to the potential or the, the root causes of this disease, rule that out first, verify your sleepability, um, 
And then, of course, if there is a sleep issue, the sleep hygiene um, uh, features and, and, and you know, uh, attributes of, of a proper sleep environment are also important. But if your airway is small and narrow and you can't breathe at night, that has to be addressed. And it really was difficult to do uh, here in, you know, in California with uh, great, we had great health care. Dr. B, you are speaking my language about getting uh-huh. to the root underlying cause. Right. <laughs> and of course, I see a lot of patients in my private practice uh, with fatigue, and I'm always, you know, trying to figure out, okay, is the fatigue, is part of that coming from sleep, you know, sleep issues. And a lot of people have sleep issues. You said something very important about snoring. So snoring is never normal. It's not normal. It's not funny. Um it's nothing to laugh at. I mean, we do think snoring is kind of funny. Uh, you see the YouTube videos. You see how Hollywood treats it. Uh, snoring is a very serious thing, especially in a child. Uh, and children do snore, and it's not a cute snore. And um, and men, you know, don't you know the differentiation of men snoring like a freight train, and and women have a cute snore. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. Snoring is snoring. It is indicative of a small airway which could be disturbed sleep, and of course the implications of that are great. So snoring is something that we need to kind of look at again and, and re-categorize re- as a, a serious uh, a symptom. So I think the uh, U.S. Uh, Centers for Disease Control considers um, uh, poor sleep as an, uh, as an epidemic right now, mm-hmm. an epidemic, and... Um, so sleep apnea, how common is sleep apnea? It's a good question, and epidemic um, may be a strong term. I would say 30% of us have some form of sleep disorder breathing. And, of course, that, can, that is not just obstructive sleep apnea. It can be a UARS. Uh, that could be like an upper airway um, resistance syndrome. It's just difficulty breathing. It's enough to wake you up constantly at night. That's... Uh, I would, I would define uh, sleep disorder breathing. And, and epidemic, certainly epidemic in the sense that of those 30%, 90% are untreated. I mean, they are driving cars and flying planes, and it may be your surgeon, you know, that has sleep apnea, for example, or your oh dentist. God, I hope I mean, not. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, your children are driving on two-way roads, and at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, a lot of those people coming at your children in a big car have sleep apnea. They do fall asleep at the wheel. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people die uh, every year from sleep apnea in a car-related incident in the U.S. Um, I mean, yeah, it's epidemic, but it's it's epidemic in stature in terms of how we haven't really dealt with it and how we haven't really treated these uh, these poor people that are suffering. So now, what are the absolute known side effects of sleep apnea? What do we know from a research perspective that sleep apnea does to our health in the short term, in the long term? Right. Well, there's lots of good information out there. There are a lot of studies, especially recently, but some of the studies are quite old. Um, and it was funny because I would, you know, it was easier to tell patients, my patients, when I uh, screened them for sleep apnea, it was easier to tell them what sleep apnea didn't cause because there were so many things. And I was used to joke that cancer was one was not one of them. Well, cancer now is on the list, um, breast cancer specifically. I think prostate cancer will, will follow soon. Um, it's high blood pressure. It's uh, insulin resistance. Of course, that leads to diabetes. Those are what I call more short-term effects. I mean, short-term in the sense that they can appear in less than a decade. Um, 
certainly tiredness. The short-term response is fogginess, uh, lack of coherence and focus. Short-term memory consolidation is affected. Your immune system, uh, your ability to fight off you know, simple common cold or flu is affected. Uh, I've read studies that within three days of poor sleep, sleep disorder breathing, uh, the mammary bodies in the base of the brain are damaged. Uh, so it's brain damage. It's almost instantaneous brain damage. And can, again, there, there are mood disorders, depression. Um, it's, it's, hard to be, it's hard to cope with everyday life if at night you're fighting for your life. Um, the anxiety just carries through to the day. So the longer-term effects would be cancer, certainly. Um, Alzheimer's is on the list. Uh, cognitive decline and damage to the brain over the years. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a long list. Um, there are certain uh, gut disorders. Certainly, the uh, the um, uh, the microbiome, uh, the gut microbiome, is affected uh, because that's tied into the immune system. So it pretty much it's the foundation of our health. If we don't sleep well, everything else starts kicking in. The body, you know, tries to repair this and make up for certain things like lack of growth hormone at night. And the thyroid is taxed, your adrenal glands are taxed, and so there's a hormonal change, uh, there's cognitive change, physiological change, there's a change on a metal, metabolic level, and your body can only handle that for so long. The question is, is why is 30% of the population prone to having this? Uh, um, and you know that goes back to epigenetic changes, um, uh, evolutionary changes. Uh, we have a compromised airway, and the sooner we we realize that and treat it appropriately, I think then a lot of us are going to start feeling better. We could even save the, the whole um, medical system uh, some money. So let's uh, move forward a little bit and talk mm-hmm. about what should our listeners ask their dentists when they go in for their dental screening? Like, are there specific things that they should ask their dentist? Sure. Uh, it's a great question. Um, and the, the, the same question should be, you know, what would you ask your physician? And that's the thing. That's what I noticed with my wife. Nobody, would you, how, do you, how do you go in and say, I have sleep apnea? Nobody really knows that, although now education and blogging and the Internet uh, podcasts like this, I mean, people are getting it. I get emails probably 100 a day asking that same question. Do I have sleep apnea? And the information and the questions you should ask are things like, well, you, you ask dentist, it would be grinding. Do I brux my teeth? Am I a nocturnal bruxer? Do I grind my teeth at night? Do I have a fissured tongue, scalloped tongue? What's my malampati score? That's uh, what ENTs use to rate the, the opening of the airway in a relaxed position. Um, but there are other things you can ask. And I don't think it's unfair to ask uh, your dentist just outright, do you think I have sleep apnea? Now, your dentist may not be trained, and of course they can't diagnose a sleep apnea, but there are dentists that uh, are listed on the AADSM site. Uh, you could easily call up, uh, you know, refer, refer yourself to one of those. You don't need a referral, and then ask that dentist, and that dentist would be able to be part of the treatment process. They would have the connections and the referrals to the proper referrals to a sleep uh, specialist, usually it's an, it's an MD, typically it's a neurologist, sometimes it can be an ENT. So I think it's just good to ask the question, do I have sleep apnea? Am I tired because I cannot breathe properly at night? Those are the questions I would ask. Um, and again, I think back when my wife was, went through all this 10 years ago, we didn't know what questions to ask. Um, we, we thought snoring, we didn't even bring up snoring. 
Yeah, because as you said, snoring is so common that we think mm-hmm. it's normal, especially right. as we get older. And obviously, right. you've you've uh, proven us wrong on that. Okay. Well, and poor <coughs> women with menopause. I mean, women actually have uh, two hormones that are very protective of the airway muscles, uh, progesterone and estrogen. Of course, after menopause, those hormones are greatly decreased, and that's when women actually catch up with um, with men in terms of the se- severity, certainly the severity, but the frequency of sleep apnea. So if I were a woman, and I, I, mean, I check my patients, I ask them, are you, when is menopause coming for you? Do you have it now? Have you had it? And then we have a snoring conversation. And in fact, last week, uh, I had that conversation with three women, and they actually brought up to me that they were snoring. Um, and I s- asked them, well, when when did you go through menopause? And they all, th- all three of those women had just recently you know, they're on the downside of the menopause, and, and that's, that's the kind of connection that we have to make, um, as, as, you know, certainly as healthcare practitioners, but our patients uh, can do that now. They're, they're well-educated. Okay, so we were just talking about what to ask our dentist, and then how about, are there specific things that our listeners can do at home to help them figure this out? You know, because some of them have a partner in the bed with them that mm-hmm. can help and say, like, yeah, you definitely snore. Right, um, and uh, a lot of listeners don't. So, are there any are there any things that they can do at home to help like clue them in? Yes. So that the what you were referring to is the sleep what we call the sleep partner uh, report, and uh, I routinely ask uh, spouses and and partners, uh, you know, does the other partner snore? What's it like? Do you ever see an apnea? I explain to them what that is, and that's sometimes a great way to get the conversation started. Uh, of course, if you're sleeping alone at night, which you're probably getting a better night's sleep, especially if your partner is snoring, um, there are apps. Uh, I was very surprised uh, that a neurologist who specializes in sleep apnea recommended an app, um, and I, I thought he was kidding actually at first. But there are apps. Uh, one that I recommend in, in my book. It's called Sleep Analyzer. And uh, I think it's just a, it turns your, your cell phone, your smartphone, into a listening device. And in the morning, it'll play back the sounds. It'll also record how many sounds there were. It's very easy to use that. Um, and it's very easy to come up with an idea of whether you have an issue. I mean, you can hear the snoring. I, I've, I've reviewed thousands of these, uh, these telephone logs with patients. And, and it's a great way to, to start the, the, that's when the patient's convinced that there's an issue. Uh, a lot of my male patients are in denial, of course. When they hear that they that I think they have sleep apnea, that's the time to get that smartphone out and verify it at home. And when they come back, they're they're more interested. So I, I think sleep partner reports and uh, your smartphone is smarter than perhaps you thought. Okay, so now let's switch gears and, and actually get into treatment. Mm-hmm. And so can you explain to us the different types of treatments out there to help with sleep apnea? Okay. Um, there are several treatments. Um, a lot of people are unfortunately afraid of the treatments, and that's where the denial sets in. Nobody wants to have CPAP apnea because they've all heard about the CPAP, uh, you know, uh, continuous positive airway pressure. It's a little mask that you wear um, that helps blow up your airway. In other words, as the airway collapses, uh, your pharynx collapses, uh, the positive pressure of this little box and tube and mask that you wear uh, keeps the airway from collapsing with positive pressure. Again, the, the People, the, the stigma of that is, is unfortunately has risen to just unbelievable levels. I, I still get a lot of resistance, even though I encourage patients and you actually give them tips on how to, you know, maximize it and how to adjust to it. The mask is difficult to get used to. It's hard to sleep with a tether on your face. Uh, but they, they, they keep improving that whole process. That's the simple 
kind of simplest way of treating it. Uh, surgery is certainly uh, an option. I would delay surgery as long as you can. Uh, I would try the CPAP first. Uh, as dentists, we provide uh, something that is becoming more popular. It's been around for a while, but it's coming back into vogue because it does work. This is what we call the oral appliance. Um, we refer to it as the MAD, the Mandibular Advancement Device. I wear one, and uh, I have without it, I have 12 interruptions per hour. And with it in place, because my jaw has been held forwards, uh, it, uh, it does not fall back when I reach deep sleep. Um, when you reach deep sleep, your muscles go into a state of paralysis, of course, except for your heart and your, your diaphragm. And so do the muscles of the jaw. And you've seen people fall asleep in the back of the car. The jaw falls back. The jaw may fall open. And, uh, and then, then you hear the snoring. The airway gets smaller. This oral appliance prevents that from happening. So I have zero interruptions with my oral appliance in. My wife has 35 interruptions per hour without her device, and she's down to zero as well. And this is not, we, I have really no way of measuring that. Uh, I'm part of the treatment modality. I work with a team of physicians, and I, because I'm a dentist and have intimate knowledge of teeth and mouth and occlusion and TMJ, we make and calibrate the device. Um, but it, it's it's advised that that patient go back and get the sleep verified by another sleep study. So those numbers that I'm giving you are verified by sleep study. And I tell you, that's one of the greatest days of my life when I saw that big fat zero, uh, AHI of zero, no apneas, no hyopneas. And of course, I already knew something was happening. People, once they get the oral appliance, they start, uh, it's almost the first day that they feel something. They're not, they can't quite put their, their foot on. They can't really, they can't uh, rationalize what's happening, but they notice something. Um, they're a little sharper, a little happier, and they don't remember. They don't have any memories of tossing and turning in the middle of the night. It's an amnesic sleep. So one of the things that you said is um, that there's a stigma around sleep apnea and that people still to this day are in denial. They don't want to be diagnosed with sleep apnea, and so they don't want to go for the sleep study. Or they have been diagnosed, but they don't want to use the CPAP machine. I mean, just last week I had another patient coming to me with fatigue and she told me I have sleep apnea but I don't want to wear the mask and I'm like are you you this is why you have fatigue you need to sleep at night so right. um for the listeners out there how do we is there a way to know who is a better candidate for a CPAP and who is a better candidate for the oral appliance is it just you just try yeah that's a good question um and I've recommended in my book uh, that you actually see an ENT and have him scope, uh, put a camera down into your throat and see what mandibular advancement does uh, with a jaw thrust and the camera in your throat. Um, there's actually a study out now that supports that. Um, came out, unfortunately, after the book was published. Otherwise, I would put it in the book. And that's a great way of knowing uh, whether the oral appliance may have a good a beneficial effect. And, of course, a lot of people could bypass the CPAP and go right to that. So people that have uh, mild or moderate sleep apnea typically are very good candidates uh, for the oral appliance. The stigma of the, of the mask and the hose and the machine, that's, that, that, that uh, information, that knowledge is based on an older machine from a long time ago. I've seen a lot of people that start off saying, I'd rather die uh, than wearing that, uh, actually end up wearing it for their life um, and, um, and successfully. Uh, so there, and there's more stuff coming. There are better masks now. Uh, there's one that's available on Amazon that I refer my patients to. Uh, my existing CPAP patients. Uh, you can certainly wear 
an oral appliance and a CPAP, uh, or go to an APAP, that's an automatic version of a CPAP. And because it's automatic and it senses the back pressure and can blow the right amount of air at any given moment into, into your airway, uh, but with the oral appliance present, your airway is open, then of course the APAP is working less than a CPAP would. So there's hybrid therapy. There, it's, a, it's a complicated, we've talked about surgery, the CPAP, the, um, um, the oral appliance, uh, but it could be a combination of many things. So the key is, is to finding a good team, a good dentist, a good sleep specialist, and a good technologist uh, with CPAPs. Uh, they're worth uh, their weight in gold. Someone who really knows how to adjust the mask, pick the right mask, and modify it so that it works for the patient. I will say that my, uh, my father... At one point, he was, well, he had, he had snored for years, for years. And, of course, we just thought that was normal. And uh, then he got to the point where he's, he was becoming so tired that he was starting to fall asleep while he was driving. And, of course, I mean, can you imagine right. the danger with that? And thank God he never hurt anybody or himself. Right. But finally, he went for the sleep study. He got uh, diagnosed with sleep apnea. Um, he actually found a sleep. Uh, a CPAP uh, mask that fit him the best and he just raved about it because he felt so much better having the right mask and being able to get good deep sleep again and what's so interesting too Dr. B is when finally when he got to the point in his life when his health was declining and he was in the hospital for various different reasons he would argue with the people at the hospital and say he would tell them i want my own cpap machine i want my own mask because i know that that works for me and i know i'll get a good night's sleep so i'm really glad you brought that up because i've you know when i visit people in hospitals and i see signs of sleep apnea you know, I, I tell the nurses that he really should have a CPAP. I've actually spent the night with some patients, uh, uh, you know, paralysis patients, and they have difficulty breathing, of course. And, you know, I, I'm just a dentist, right? I'm not the primary care team of this poor paralyzed patient. But it occurred to me, why isn't there a BiPAP or a CPAP on this patient to get him through the night? And, of course, I've seen the results of that. Um, and I've uh, in the hospital where all of a sudden you know healing is better, the patient's happier, the nurses are, are more efficient and happier. So that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. It should be used in hospitals. Yeah, it should be. So if you if you have a loved one in the hospital right now, you should be in there fighting to have their CPAP um, either brought in or have a CPAP within the hospital used right. yeah. because that will help their healing. It's already hard enough being in the hospital. Right. And then not being able to sleep well. Yeah. So let's, Dr. B, let's uh, go back to the oral appliance. Can can any dentist make this oral appliance or do our listeners need to look for somebody specialized? How would they know that they're getting a good dentist to make a good oral appliance? Right. That's a good question. And the other part of the question is which appliance? Um, Yes. So, and there's so many of them. And when I first got into this 10 years ago, it was a little confusing uh, for me as well. So, you know, after having tried a lot of appliances myself, uh, I pretty much know what works and what doesn't. Uh, But I would say that there are very few dentists that, um, there's a small percentage of dentists that are, are good at this. They do it routinely. They've made it a big part of their practice. You can, again, find those dentists uh, by going to the aadsm.org uh, website 
And as a layperson, you can quickly find someone in your area by zip code. So, so I would definitely recommend that. Uh, I've actually I get calls from all over the world, of course, and I've actually been able to find uh, them a dentist that is trained in doing this. So I would recommend only. I mean, any dentist can do it. To answer your question, um, and it's actually a dental appliance that we used uh, long ago, which some of us still use for braces uh, for modifying the growth of the of the jaw uh, that's how it came about it was designed to do that first and then we realized that oh it was also having effects on the airway and that was back i think in the 50s so so any dentist can make it but i would definitely pick a dentist that uh, has made this a big part of their practice because it is a very technique sensitive very sensitive uh um process and so it's much easier if you've seen if you see a dentist that has basically seen all the things that that come up like tmj jaw pain fit uh volume position of the tongue um efficacy of course uh and there are a lot of dentists that will just make this device and then not ask you to get verified in other words they're not really part of a team as i mentioned earlier uh the oral appliance is useless if it has not been verified that it's actually brought you down below an HI of, of five. So sleep studies after the oral appliance are, are mandatory. Uh, I would definitely recommend that that's uh, part of the regimen for the oral appliance. Dr. Berhenna, you've given our listeners a lot of great information. Is there anything else that we kind of left out that you think is important for them to know? I think we covered it all. They were great questions. Um, I'm just, uh, I, I, I would like to see uh, that uh, children are treated with, for small airways that we catch that earlier because it affects their development. Imagine not sleeping well while you're growing and developing into a person um, and, and the effects that that could have. Those are permanent effects that you cannot reverse. So I would, I'm a big proponent of uh, catching snoring early, which I do with my patients uh, from age one and on and, and doing something about it. Yeah, I actually have also a nephew who was diagnosed with sleep, sleep apnea. I don't know if he was like six years old or eight years old. Um, and uh, where's his little CPAP? And as you said, it's not uncommon in children at all. Right. And that they that should not go as undiagnosed because that will absolutely affect their health for the rest of their lives. Right, exactly. Dr. B, how can our listeners find out more about you and where can they get a copy of your book? Uh, the book is available on Amazon in uh, print form um, and uh, Kindle form. And I just type in my last name, you'll see the book, or type in the title, The 8-Hour Sleep Paradox. Um, and certainly you can go to my website. You can email me as well. My e- email is on the website. The website is askthedentist.com. So listeners out there, I'll make sure to have those links in the podcast notes so that you can easily find Dr. Berhenna's website and his book. Dr. Berhenna, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been a great interview. Oh, good. Thank you, Dr. Carey. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. All right. That wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Mark Berhenna. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. 
Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.